Hey folks, Dude2Joe here from Two Dudes One Double Feature. The following is not intended for younger audiences. If you're under the age of 18, please turn this off. The opinions expressed do not reflect the views of our employers. Also, regarding what has gone on this week in America, there was a Supreme Court leak regarding the status of Roe v. Wade. This has been a hugely uh, disappointing bit of news. Not the leak itself, just what was contained in the leak, and this is millions of Americans concerned about the status of reproductive care in this country. If there is something you would like to do or try to help out in any way, I have posted a few links in the description of this week's episode to help out with that just a bit. Anyway, here is this week's installment of Two Dudes, One Double Feature. Welcome, uh, welcome everyone to Two Dudes, One Double Feature, the show in which two dudes talk two films, and that is about it. I am Dude One, Richard. And I'm Dude Two, Joe. And we got another exciting, enthralling episode for you guys this week. I'm trying to think, I was trying to think of fun ways to describe excite, but you know, it's early. It's early for me, I guess. Yeah, this way, <laughs> folks, folks, Richard is is 50% responsible for this decision. Yeah, as, as is most decisions on this show. Yeah. <laughs> but um, before we get into this enticing episode, <laughs> there we go. A lot of, lot of nice E words there. How you doing, dude to Joe? Uh, you know, before I get into how I am, I'm actually very excited about this episode. This is a this was a delayed episode too. A delayed episode and one that I I forgot was happening. Oddly enough, uh, which mm. is funny considering the first film in this pairing. But I thought because we we just before we watched these two movies, we watched another pair of movies, and I thought you were going to suggest at some point that you wanted to do that instead because we because it was like like a last minute thing. Mm. But then we just started watching these. I'm like. Yeah, we just got to get this done now. You know what? We just got to do this one. With those movies, I want I want to give more time to them because, you know, especially cuz one of them is brand new and, you know, I want I want to be able to digest it when I get it on disc. Um, but That's fair. But I am I'm doing fine. Um, I had a Robert Eggers filled weekend. Um, <laughs> Because uh, wrong with that. I'm gonna go back. I'm gonna like start today and go backwards. I watched The Witch for the first time today. Oh, you'd never seen it before. I had never seen it before. Man, that's surprising. Uh, it was a good movie. It was a good movie. Uh, you know, it's definitely uh, from the other ones that I've seen. Definitely very Robert Eggers for one. Yes, the 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 dialogue is very to the period. <laughs> to the period, as much as he can do. Yeah. You know, and um, that's the movie that introduced the world to Anya Taylor Joy. Yes, and she's quite good. I think the whole cast is very good in that um, in that movie. It's a great looking movie because I got it on Blu-ray for like five bucks, and I'm like, why not? You know, um, yeah. it's, I, I've seen the Lighthouse before, but I I'm gonna I want to wait. I want that to drop because it's like twenty bucks right now, and mm. like I want to get it. I've been I, I saw it in theaters and. I watched it a while ago, but I, I, I'm waiting for that Blu-ray to drop. But 
I also, uh, this uh, on Thursday, Thursday night in Dolby, I saw The Northman. Very nice. It was um, incredible. It was interesting because it was a very, it was one of the more packed houses I've been in since returning to movie theaters, you know. And this wasn't for like, um, like a Spider-Man movie or a Marvel movie. Right. But I know people, it does have, people were anticipating this one. But I think it opened like 12 million, which is the, I think the biggest opening of Robert Eggers' career. But it also cost a lot of money to make as well. I think even with like tax rebates and stuff, it was like seventy million to make. Um, oh wow! Part of that being because that when they part they had to stop part way through because of COVID, you know. Um, but it's incredible. Um, I know Robert Eggers has said this is my cut, but I'm like I want a director's cut because I feel like that there are some <laughs> loose ends that I feel like could be developed a little more. As far as certain characters, I don't want to say anything. The cast is exceptional. I mean, again, Anya Taylor-Joy. Uh, I forget who said this, but whenever she's in a movie, I literally cannot imagine anybody else in that part. She is yeah, amazing. Uh, Alexander Skarsgård is a beast in this. He is um, amazing. And you can definitely tell why they had him as Tarzan at one point. And unfortunately, that did not work out because <laughs> terrible movie. But... Um, you know, he's got the physicality, and he's, he's incredible. He's a great actor. Um, let's see. Obviously, Willem Dafoe is there. He's amazing. As, as he should Nicole be. Kidman, as he should be. Nicole Kidman, incredible. Incredible in this movie. Um, but I want to give special... And you saw it... Yeah. You saw it at an AMC, didn't you? I did see it at AMC. Yes, I did. <laughs> yeah. But it was... Yeah. It was... So you got, you, got, you got twice the Kidman on that <laughs> I got two of her most notable performances. All right. <laughs> um i i want to give a note um special note to um i I, i'm probably butchering his name and you know this guy because he was dracula yes class bang okay you know i i I, yeah i know i know i don't know how it's pronounced i can't i can't correct you or not i always thought it was like clay's bang clay's bang and you you might be right but um he's incredible he's incredible this movie he plays the uncle and um you know, just because like this movie doesn't go exactly the way you think it does, um, and a lot, I think part of that is because of his performance and also Nicole Kidman, mm-hmm. but like incredible. Um, overall, I think it's it's a great um, great movie, but it's definitely if you're somebody who's just expecting a full on action movie, you will be disappointed. I hope I'm not spoiling anything when I say this, but I heard that there was like. A seed with Ethan Hawke and Willem Dafoe, and they're like naked doing drugs or something. It's a very strange scene. I'll say that much. <laughs> it, but it it still feels uh, very Robert Eggers in that way. It very much made me think of the lighthouse. <laughs> and then like the Valkyries are wearing braces. Yes. Um. I, I, you know when you watch it, it doesn't it doesn't bother you. But ultimately, I think my takeaway with this movie is like it makes me think of like the first Blade Runner. Where mm-hmm. it's not a perfect movie, certain characterizations I think could be expanded upon, but visually one of the most stunning movies I've seen this year. Um, you know, probably like if I had a, like my, my number one movie of the year would be Everything Everywhere at Once, but number two would either be this or the Batman. I think um, just for nice. from a pure like visceral, it made me think of. Um, I, I don't going on it, but maybe think of like. Uh, Die Nibelungen, uh, the film by uh, Fritz Lang about like like German mythology and stuff like that. And there's just certain images mm-hmm. that just kind of stick with you 
you know, especially the last shot in the movie kind of like really stuck with me. But, um, uh, other than that, I, there was another movie I watched uh, yesterday, but I won't talk about that until we te- get to our second feature. So, um, okay. How are you? Interesting. How are you doing? Uh, I'm, I, as you know, I, I, I more or less just woke up, uh, <laughs> uh, I had a late night last night at work, and I came home, and then I just, I just was like, yeah. It, I don't know if this ever happens to anyone else. I mean, I imagine it might, but um, like you'll be at work, you have a late shift, maybe you're scheduled till about say ten, eleven o'clock, somewhere around there, and you're tired because you've been working all, you've been working all night, and you get home, and you're like immediately you think oh i must i must be so tired i might just actually go to sleep tonight and then that no no, it doesn't happen (laughs) um i think for me it's just that it's a couple of things i think um because of just like wanting to leave and then finally getting that chance to leave and then being home um you get your energy back yeah and you're just you're just sit you're just sitting there and you're like this is what I've been wanting to do all day, and yet it's like two in the morning. <laughs> like, what the hell? Oh man. Um, so I ended up going to bed a little bit later, and then I did wake up at about eleven officially. But then I was like, nah, nah. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go for it. I'm just gonna sleep. So, so I slept, and then I woke up, and then Joey messaged me, and here we are. Um, <laughs> this isn't the first time this has happened, though. I'm pretty sure it was a while ago. I remember waking up and us recording an episode. So, you know, here I am. <laughs> if you could, um, if, if folks, if you could remember what episode that was, uh, I'd be very curious. Uh, let us know. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram for two dudes. Yes. I know. It was, I feel like it was an early episode. I want to say like, maybe not pre-episode 10 but definitely post-episode 10 somewhere around there okay but it's like close to 10 all right all right um other than that uh just been again just buying more movies um i randomly bought crouching tiger hidden dragon yes. because of seeing everything everywhere all at once and um that was very good i watched that one with joey and i'd never i because i'd never seen it because it came out what like 2000 somewhere around there or like early ni- early 2000s something like that yeah early 2000s yeah um and uh i mean it's, it's got a great cast yes absolutely you know, amazing overall cast i mean michelle yo who was in everything everywhere all at once and again what prompted this viewing um she's fantastic and you can't you cannot take your eyes off her she's so good um, anyone else that's on screen with her, I'm so sorry. Cause I, while there's a lot of amazing people, I'm just focused on her. <laughs> um, though, uh, Chow Yun Fat is in this and he's very good as well. And he's also hard to, to take your eye off of. I know him mostly as Sao Fang, the pirate Lord from, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End. I have I have some of his uh, his John Woo movies like the old really old Criterion uh, DVDs like Hard Boiled Hard Boiled The Killer I am familiar with those ones mm-hmm. yeah um, I am also familiar with Face Off <laughs> oh yeah 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 which is also a John Woo movie um, 
speaking of Nicolas Cage, because, you know, he's got his movie out. That's right. So there you go. That's right. Throw that reference in there. Mm-hmm. Um, my parents actually went and saw that. They said it was really good. You know, can I just say one thing that's re- actually really incredible right now? Hmm. There's such a diverse offering of movies right now. Like, if you go to the movies right now, you have The Northman. You have Everything Everywhere All at Once. Um, that new DreamWorks movie, Bad Guys, which the animation style looked pretty cool. Um, mm-hmm. The new Nicolas Cage movie, uh, was it the... Uh, the the immeasurable... Uh, the unbearable weight of massive talent. That, yes. Um, you know, <laughs> uh, Sonic, like... Like there's a lot of there's a lot of movies out there right now, and it's not it's not just like you know pick the two same generic blockbusters. A very unique offering of movies. So I just wanted to give a shout out to that. I felt that. <laughs> I will say like it wasn't as busy at work last night because I mean I, I've said I've said in the past I work at a movie theater and it wasn't as busy, but at least there's choices which we haven't had in a while. Mm-hmm. Now of course. If you're, because there's still people that come in every now and that's like, I haven't been here in over two years. And so there's still people sort of working up the courage a little bit. Um, but uh, if you're, if you're ready, if you're, if you're comfortable, thankfully there are choices for you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I know some people maybe feel like they don't have a choice just because of, you know, X, Y, and Z, whatever, you know, health issues they have, unfortunately. But, um, at the same time, if you are ready, if you are feeling safe, feeling up to it, there's many, many wonderful options that we have. And I will say my theater stopped playing everything everywhere all at once. And that's really disappointing. That is dis- that is disappointing. That is very disappointing. So don't go to my theater. I won't tell you where it is, but don't go to mine if you want to see it, because we don't have it. Yeah, I think I think there's still like 2,000-something screens in the States that are playing it, um, you know, so... But that one's definitely... I, w- I actually worked up the courage and found a good time zone and went and saw that one, and that one was, that one was very good. The big one for me, I think, this past week was um, finally the release of The Batman mm-hmm. at home. Yes. I've, I've now watched that well i watched i didn't watch it entirely the other day but i um well yesterday i watched it up until i had to get ready for work Mm. but um i i do want to kind of hold off a little bit i don't want to spoil myself too much because i want to wait for the 4k to come out for me to watch it in full again because i don't know if this ever happens to anyone else i imagine it does as i just said earlier um like if you get a digital version of a movie and you watch it too much then you get the 4k and then you're just like i don't want to watch this right now (laughs) yeah like, you just spoiled yourself. You just kind of, like, you know... Which is... It's nice to have that... Like, just to have it in some capacity. Yeah. Um, But I'd rather just wait a little bit. But I did watch it. I watched it in full two more times since I picked it up. Because I actually bought it on Vudu, whereas everybody else probably is just watching it on HBO Max. Mm-hmm. I did what you did with Dune. Yeah. Basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so... Uh, which, if you go back, you could probably hear me go, Joey, why would you do that? <laughs> it's even worse, because you could just watch it on HBO Max right now. And you, you know what? Dune at the time, I'm sure. No. <laughs> was available. No, it was not. <laughs> this was after its theatrical run and after its HBO Max. Like, Remember, that feels like so long ago, Richard, when they did the simultaneous... That's so weird. 
Like, that was the thing. Like, we talked about that on this show. We did. We did for an extensive period of a time. Number and of now our, it's like... A number of our films were made available <laughs> because of this. And now we're here. Mm-hmm. Now we're here. Yep. But, but you know what? At least, at least uh, I can say that I put money towards something that I like. That's fair. Yeah. That's, yeah. So... Plus, you know, the HBO Max subscription, I feel like, is used more by others that I let use my HBO Max subscription than by me. <laughs> That's me with Netflix. <laughs> oh, no. They're going to have to get charged. There's all people in my household. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. They're going to figure out a way to charge them. Yeah. At, at that point, I'm just going to be like, bye bye. I'm sorry. Are you, uh, I'm sorry. Are you upstairs in this household? Yeah, we're going to have to put a $10 charge on this password. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Like listen, listen, this is a message to anybody who just wants to become a streaming service. You need to have other part you need to have other parts of your business. This is the reason why Disney Plus is fine. A, a streaming service is a nice like icing on the cake or a cherry on top. It's not it should not be the main part of your business. You need other things to fund that. But that's a whole other thing. Remember when Netflix like sent discs out in the mail? The first one of those I ever watched was Napoleon Dynamite. I forget what mine was. I think I think we did it for like a month and then we stopped and then we did it again and then it just turned into a streaming service. Mm-hmm. I remember when <laughs> it was that was I remember when it was yeah. seven ninety nine a month. We're old folks. That's what we're kind of getting at here. And now, if you want like the premium like top tier version, I think it's like tw- almost twenty a, twenty a month. Good God. That's rough. Ugh. Anyway, so... Streaming services are weird. They are. Um, but, anyway, that's... <clears throat> excuse me. Anyways, that's more or less how I've been doing. That's more or less how I've been doing. Um, but, I guess, like, like we were saying earlier, this is one of our more delayed episodes. We've had this planned... At, was this one of, like... It wasn't, like, immediately, like, early on planned, but I feel like it was later on. But like, like around like the th- maybe the th- thirty range, because I, I don't feel like it was one we immediately were like, yes, this has to be something well, we do. I know, I I know at the very least with each of these movies, we knew we had to talk about them at some point, whether they be yeah. together or apart. You know, um, mm-hmm. especially this first one because it's a movie that I hold I hold very dear near and dear to my heart, and the other one because it's. Amazing. In many respects, this feels like um, a Joey episode. I would say that's fair. I would say that's fair. Yeah. 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 Like, not that I, I don't have much of a connection with either of these movies. I do enjoy both of these movies, but um, this is, like, I would definitely put these movies in the category of Joe Dinny Dan. <laughs> like, I feel like this first film is like my, it's like my Batman. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, yes, in many respects it is. <laughs> and uh, that first film, let's get, let's talk about this one. Uh, the first film is the 1968 science fiction uh, Franklin J. Schaffner uh, directed Planet of the Apes. I, I can't think of anything. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> it's all right. Get your stinking paws. No, wait, no, I, I don't. Uh, do it again. Right, I got right. one. I know what I'm going to do. The film Planet of the Apes. <laughs> as he's laughing it's actually out of sync so it's actually a callback to the um to the original film if you don't if you didn't know that you're not a real fan but anyway 
<laughs> he actually cares about his home. <laughs> oh boy. So, uh, uh, Planet of the Apes. This was not the first Planet of the Apes movie I watched, funny enough. As I've said in the past, the first one I watched was the Tim Burton directed 2001. Ironically enough, 2001 Planet of the Apes. To the 2001 Planet. I think I made a joke about that when we were you, talking a while you ago. You probably did. Uh, <laughs> it, you know, Planet of the Apes, um, I remember watching this on DVD, you know, um, and I'm like, you know what, I, it's one of those like classic movies I had, I had never seen at that point, and I decided mm-hmm. to put it on, and I was just enthralled the whole time and every time that i've watched it since um for those of you who are not familiar just a brief summation of the plot we have a couple of scientists uh astronauts really a couple astronauts led by george taylor played by charlton heston and his first name is george they never say it in the whole time Mm -hmm. they never say i was like i never i was like what they never george they never say it. That's something he has in common with, with Marky Mark, because I can never remember Marky Mark's name in Planet of the Apes. <laughs> uh, I What is... Shit, what is his name in Planet of the Apes now? I'm trying to... God, I used to remember this, but now I don't. Something. I don't know. Uh, Tony. Who cares? <laughs> his name is... His name is... Uh, Greg? Greg. Greg the Scientist. <laughs> anyway. Uh, so these guys... Uh, the, these people... Um, they're off to test uh, Dr. Hasslein's, like, theory about time travel. And they, basically, they've been in the ship, I think, like, 18 months or something. Like, or only, not a very long time. In compa- But, like, Earth time, it was 700 years, initially. Well, I remember that's what, that's what Taylor says at the beginning of the movie. He's, like, everyone's in hibernation, and he's like, by Earth time, they've been asleep for 700 years. <laughs> Uh, so everyone we know is dead. It's it's a long time, um, and they're trying to investigate. And they see these humans who these humans who don't speak, uh, they don't audibly speak like you know like any language that they know. They're just you know hmm. they're just people. Well, by that point, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. That's fine. Like, but by that point, by the time they meet the mute people, and they landed on the planet, it'd been two thousand years. Yes, I didn't want to be that guy. Yes. <laughs> but, Listen, just be that guy. All right, it's okay. Fine. All right. So, uh, they, they think, oh yeah, this is gonna be this is gonna be a breeze, and then the apes on horses come in, and as Taylor calls it, this upside down world where the apes, gorillas, orangutan, uh, chimpanzees rule, <laughs> rule society, and humans are effectively like just animals caged animals they're caged animals that are experimented on it's uh pretty screwed up and it's basically it's basically a two-hour twilight zone episode because isn't rod serling one of the screenwriters rod serling uh was the first screenwriter attached to this movie um a bit of background this was based on la planet de singe um which is translated as monkey planet written by pierre boule who wrote the book uh the bridge on the river kwai which is, of course, eventually made it to an Oscar-winning movie. And uh, Rod Sterling wrote the first draft of the script. And initially, the book has like more futuristic ape settings kind of thing. This is a bit more, um, I hate to use it, like more primitive, 
more um, down to earth, I suppose, like more rock formation kind of uh, settlements and houses to lower the budget and make it more unique. Because Fox at that point was uh, in dire, um, dire financial situation after a couple of bombs and such financially. So anyway, Rod Serling left at some point, but apparently Rod Serling credits himself with the famous twist, which we'll get to that later. But the script was also heavily um, added on to by Michael Wilson, who was a blacklisted screenwriter in Hollywood during the McCarthy era, and actually mm-hmm. actually wrote the screenplay for Bridge in the River Kwai, but was not credited officially until many years later because he was blacklisted. Oh. And he won an Oscar because the, the movie did win an Oscar for screenplay, but he didn't get it because of the blacklist situation. Um, so he didn't get it for many, many years, but uh, I think he does a very good job. It's a good script here. But uh, Planet of the Apes, <laughs> we follow uh, Charlton Heston as Taylor throughout. Um, I don't There's a lot to talk about with this movie. Um, I think one thing that's notable is the John Chambers makeup. Who I know is John Goodman from Argo. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, John Chambers, uh, makeup artist, uh, I believe he was also responsible for the, uh, prosthetic ears for Mr. Spock as well. That's cool. Um, so he's done a couple, he did a couple of other things, but he won actually an honorary Academy Award for his makeup achievements on this movie. And it's amazing because at one point when they were thinking about adapting Planet of the Apes, I think they were thinking about just having people in gorilla suits and, if you've seen like B movies with gorilla suits, there's some that are really good, like Charles Gamora, really uh, early like pioneer of the, the gorilla suit. But there's a lot of them that are just really dumb and just they obviously yeah. look like a suit. But this one, they wanted to get some good actors, and they got some really good actors. So the makeup um, enabled some genuinely compelling performances uh, from the actors. There's a lot of movement in the faces, like that was something that like if they like if that's true like. That would suck if it was just a monkey suit. <laughs> um, but I did like just how, because like it was mostly what like the, there was the nose piece, like the kind of nose mouth combination piece, and then obviously the hair, like the wig piece, mm-hmm. and then some like eyebrow adjustments. But other than that, like it there, it's their eyes with some added on features, and I, I imagine uh, more mobility especially when they're talking with their mouth. Though, when they were doing Which, um, the movie, I believe they had to do do like a liquid diet during the day because there was no way they could just get solid food down. <sighs> yeah, yeah, that would suck. Um, I think the one, like, I, I imagine, too, the one thing is, like, because their their speech was sort of manipulated through the mouth. Like, it kind of sounded like whenever you see, like, vampire actors wearing their teeth yeah uh, short like it sounds like you have something in your mouth a little you're, you're kind of like speaking through something in there and it, it kind of has that sort of that aspect to it yeah when you watch it which i mean obviously it's not like an issue or anything it's just an interesting thing that you notice and um it is interesting though at times and again it's just it's because it's an older movie and it's just kind of early days sort of makeup but it's always sort of interesting when you like see the teeth their actual teeth in their mouth and like like but they typically framed it well enough so that like you know like if they're their heads down and like you just see like the jaw move right especially like dr zayas who's kind of the villain of the movie and he's just kind of like 
you know, he's always like kind of looking up at you mm-hmm. with his head tilted down. Right. So, and I think it's just because he's like, he's like disappointed in everybody. <laughs> he's old. He's disappointed. He's, uh, he's hangry. Probably. <laughs> he's probably very hangry. It's just like, I mean, at one point he was probably thinking, how ridiculous is it that I am both the faith and science guy? <laughs> but then he's like, you know what? This is a good idea. I'm going to embrace this and yell at everyone. Um, so we talk about the makeup, uh, by John Chambers, um, go through a couple other things. Um, I think the music is also another notable feature of this movie. Uh, Jerry, listen, yeah. Jerry, Jerry Goldsmith, pardon, pardon no, me. Yeah. Um, Jerry Goldsmith. Um, I think, I don't think we talk about Jerry Goldsmith. We don't because he's, he's, he's credit. He's credited for making the score for so many like amazing science fiction films. This one, I think of, um, uh, Predator. Mm-hmm. Which I love the the score. Predator is outstanding. Yes, and iconic. Um, I he, I know he's worked with Joe Dante a handful of times. I correct me if I'm wrong. Did he do Gremlins? I'm gonna let me double check that really quick. Sorry, but uh, he oh, he also did um he also did Alien. Let's also like yes yeah. yes. Let's see. Um, controversially, uh something i typed in why did i type in alien sorry this is gonna get some of this is gonna yeah gremlins he did gremlins yes i know what i'm talking about you do so we're talking about jerry goldsmith right he did some great exceptional really just truly exceptional work over the years um and i know allison would kill me um or at least have a very stern talking to me if i didn't mention that he also did did the score did the score for Soren, you know, uh, mm-hmm. the music for Soren, which, which I went on, you, which you did go on, and it's a beautiful, beautiful piece of music. Um, Soren. Gr- he also did. Speaking of Disney, um, he did Mulan. Yes, which is I love the score from Mulan. Yeah, the 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 original, not like the new one. Yeah, the, the original one. Just want to specify the original <laughs> Disney Mulan we're referring to because there's been a number of Mulan movies. Also, starring Ming Na Wen, I think Donny Osmond sings one for one of the characters. Yeah. I know that yeah, he, I don't, he sings, and I think yeah, Harvey Firestein is in it too. James Hong's in it, I believe. James, yeah, because James Hong is the the, the, assist- the I don't want to say the assistant, the right hand. Is it the assistant? <laughs> he seems like the assistant. That's I mean, he's the pencil dude. But he's so good <laughs> in everything that he um, that he does. Listen, and we also. We don't talk enough about either Harvey Firestein or James Hong. I think both of those those folks need more more talking about. Absolutely, absolutely. But I think this I mean, cuz again, going back to I'm going to go back to the script. Like I think there's a, a lot of genuinely great like lines in this movie. The movie's credited for having outside of, you know, get your, um get your stinking paws off me, you damn dirty ape. Like there's a lot of other like I hear, I hear a lot. It's a madhouse, a madhouse. Anytime Charlton Heston screams, it tends to become like the iconic line. Yes, for the, from this movie, you maniacs, you blow it my off. Favorite that God he- damn you. <laughs> my favorite that he does. Um, it's a really unfortunate scene where he finds out that they performed a lobotomy on one of his buddies, and mm-hmm. he goes. You cut out his brain, you bloody baboon! <laughs> you th- you cut out his thoughts and memories. 
yeah, <laughs> like that, like there lines like that. Human see, human do. Mm-hmm. I think one of my favorite ones is towards the end of the movie. I mean, Doctor Zayas has a lot of great lines. One of the great lines, I'm paraphrasing, where he's just like, I believe man's brilliance and ingenuity must walk hand in hand with its idiocy. I, I don't know. I, I think the cast is also really something else. Um, I mean, because again, they were thinking about doing this with just ape suits and stuff at one point, but it's just great that they're able to get people like Morris Evans, Kim Hunter, Roddy McDowell, Roddy freaking McDowell. Listen, technically, this is Roddy McDowell's second appearance on our show. Technically Te- speaking. Technically. Because his the first one isn't an official episode, but we do mention it uh, intensely at one point because he is, and this is probably arguably his most famous role in his entire career, because he is the cricket on the hearth. <laughs> it, it, it's quintessential two dudes, honestly. <laughs> like, like, listen... If you've never experienced cricket on the hearth, you've probably made good choices in your life. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but you still you should make one bad choice in your life. It's watching cricket we on the hearth. We need to do a so live do live stream of just watching cricket on the hearth. <laughs> uh, but once we figure out that whole that thing, lo- we'll have logistics. To do it. But Roddy McDowell, he is in four of the five original Apes movies and was on the live action TV show. He he played Cornelius. He plays Cornelius in this one, but in the later films, in uh, the fourth and fifth entries, he plays Caesar. Yes, you heard mm-hmm. that right. The character of Caesar was not just invented for the new movies. As brilliant as that character was, it was a creation of the older um, older Apes films, particularly Conquest. Um, towards the end of Escape from the Planet of the Apes into Conquest of the Planet of the Apes and Battle for the Planet of the Apes. But Roddy McDowell, just the facial expressions that he gives, he it feels like he has such a command of how to act in the makeup. I always love his eyes. His eyes especially, yes. His eyes are so expressive. Like, I always send that gif where he just looks so annoyed. And I think it's in the scene where, like, they're they're at they're at his uh, Taylor's at his house and Taylor's trying to explain his origins. <laughs> Nonsense. It's like, are you kidding <laughs> 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 like like you you went you you went to school what's it what fort wayne huh? indiana <laughs> that was really good thank you thank you uh but i i love him jefferson <laughs> <laughs> he's one of my uh, he's i love roddy mcdowell i was asking you when we were watching it like like it, roddy mcdowell is he the most prominent like actor in like the whole apes franchise you know what? I would say so because um, I think no, like as far as like major characters, nobody has more appearances than he does. He he doesn't appear in the second movie as Cornelius because of a scheduling issue, I believe. Um, and you really do feel his presence missing in that movie. No disrespect to the actor in that one, but Roddy McDowell is Cornelius. But he but he's great. Um, Kim Hunter as Doctor Zira. I have to mention her because this is one of my biggest criticisms of the newer movies. Yes, I had bad things to say about the new Apes movies, even though I am probably what? the biggest fan. The female characters suck diddly dick. Like, as far as... <laughs> they Like, your options. Yeah. Carrie Russell is a nice doctor. Um, Caesar's wife, whose main purpose is to give birth and die and get captured. Yeah. All right? Yeah, and then you're not wrong. the most prominent female ape in those movies, I almost feel like, is is Caesar's daughter-in-law, Lake, in the third movie, who is just there to take care of um, take care of uh, Caesar's son Cornelius, and then um, Frida Pinto 
in the first one. And I like Frida Pinto. Like these are all like all great act, you know. But it's just and and Nova, little, little okay. girl Nova. No, Nova's at least something. I'll give you that. But like, but no, I'm not. I'm not disagreeing with you. Right. I was just trying to think of other. That's that's fair. I forgot about Noah Nova. Um, th- she's very good in the movie that movie. But uh, Kim Hunter is a great actress. I mean, um, uh, Streetcar Named Desire. I, like, Sorry. No, I was gonna say like when after like watching it a few few more times. Like, I do like Roddy McDowell a lot, but I think she's my favorite in the movie. She's so good. Dr. Zaya, right? Dr. Zira. I just want to make sure. Dr. Zira is her character. Dr. Zira? Dr. Zira? Yeah. So, Dr. Zira, honestly, like, every time I've watched it, like, you can't help but love Dr. Zira. You can't help but, like, love her, 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 her quest for truth and science and, um, her optimism and love towards, like, like I, I I wanted nothing but good things for her the entire time watching it, and I don't know I've, I haven't seen the rest of them so I don't know what happens to her character but I I hope it's okay <laughs> I hope she doesn't get killed. You should watch the the third one's a good movie because it's a it's a Cornelius Zira movie basically. Nice. Like she's fantastic. I I love it when like when Taylor kisses her at the end and she's like, "All right, but you're so damned ugly." <laughs> that scene that scene <laughs> but she's able to like spit it like hey listen <laughs> you listen ugh. like you know <laughs> you're gross but sure i guess and, and, oh. and, and again like it's it's certainly better than the the nothing burger that is the hell in the bottom carter ape in the 2001 <laughs> film Listen, if there's one thing, if there's one good thing that happened, even though it doesn't matter anymore at this point, but if there's one good thing that happened, is that at least Tim Burton found love. That, that's fine. That's fine. It's like a Temple of Doom situation. <laughs> yeah. Someone found love, and that's okay. That's fine. So, Dr. Zira, I think she, I think we both agree she's fantastic. Morris Evans, um, who plays, in my my estimation, one of the great science fiction villains, Dr. Zaius, uh, the chief... Chief Minister of uh, of Science and the Defender of the Faith. So ironic, and I f- and that's a problem <laughs> we run into today. We still have yes. these issues today with this stuff. People in power who are very much faith driven idiots. No offense to anyone who is faithful, but um, there are people in power who are faith driven idiots that hear truth when it comes to science and like i was thinking about this the other day when it comes to like people's uncomfortability with science if i had to guess and it's not justifiable by any means but uh i think it's because people have an aversion to truth and change yeah which those are two fundamental aspects of of science Mm -hmm. where it's like you know you learn something today but then you learn that there's a better way to do that, or there's, or that what you learned before might not be in, in fact the case tomorrow, mm-hmm. right? Because the world, we're learning more and more about the world as we go on, and that's just the truth of it, and it changes constantly. And yet, with faith, it's always just whatever you believe in, right? It's always just the Bible, or it's always just um, the the Simeon. Uh, religion that they have in the film. I don't know what the specific, like the lawgiver character. Yeah, the lawgiver is like the kind of deity, right? He's kind of like uh, almost like a Moses type, um, where yeah. he has like they call it the sacred scrolls, 
effectively. Yeah. And it's like, that's the word. That's the word. And uh, that's the word. Um, Dr. Zayas, what I love about his character is they're like, typically when you have this type of character in a movie, they believe what they're, what they're preaching, right? They believe yeah. that, that like any other movie, Dr. Zayas would believe that, uh, would, would, you know, would believe that apes evolved from man. Cause that's the big conceit. And I know there's some flawed evolution stuff, but that's not really the point of this movie. Um, but, but like he, but he's the guy who knows the secret. He's trying to cover things up. Like Taylor appearing pr- gives him greater problems that he has to tackle. You know, like every, mm-hmm. I think about the, the trial scene and how annoyed he looks at his, like the other, like, um, other orangutan that are like, you know, political leaders. Right. And they're like very mm-hmm. pompous and they, they're like, I oh, as the lawgiver, blah, 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 man is property, blah, blah, which is also interesting. Cause that's, was actually U.S. legal precedent at one point with human beings. I think about the Dred Scott case, um, mm-hmm. and like these guys believe what they're preaching, whereas he's just he's the only one who knows that no, that's not the case. That's not fully the case, and that's why he's always trying to deter. Like, listen, it's heresy if you're going to go into the forbidden zone and try to discover these things about man. It's forbidden to go there. You you couldn't have come from there. Are you kidding me? He's trying to like create like a whole massive um like detour, effectively for the rest of the characters. And um, Morris Evans, I think, does a terrific job um, as the villain in this piece. That's that's probably my favorite aspect. Like I always love when movies sort of dive into the whole like they they always do it in their own way. And sometimes I maybe won't agree with one method or another. But <clears throat> when a movie decides let's actually com- combat science and religion a little bit Mm -hmm. it's 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 always if it's a pro-science thing that i get excited i'll admit well yeah (laughs) but um again nothing against religion because like obviously there's like a lot of culture in so many different religions and there's so many beautiful things that have come out of religion you know i think of i think of like the sistine chapel and i think like the paintings of like um like david like the the fingers mm-hmm. touching like all like there's there's de- definitely some genuinely amazing things speaking of charlton heston you know this ten commandments movie yes yes and ben-hur which i've never seen but i know joey's a uh, massive fan of those movies mm-hmm. so there are great things that that can come out of religion and like the the stories of in in religion and whatnot but when you when you do it in an organized way when you do it to to try to overthrow science like you know, recently, not to go into COVID stuff immediately, which is a surprise for me that I haven't already done that. Mm-hmm. But um, recently, in in my state, the legislature, who's full of idiots, I think, um, has tried to force doctors to give ivermectin as an option to people with COVID. Oh my god! And it's like, do we really like like we've been we've told you you've heard on several occasions that this horse medicine is not effective in treating the virus why are you why are you trying to push this narrative why are you trying to force doctors to to do this it makes no sense mm-hmm. whatsoever right and it's all based and the only reason they have this is because it's based around a belief that because other people that are like-minded did that that they think, oh, it must, it must be a thing. Right. It's like, n- no, it's not. You're harming yourselves, is what you're doing. Mm-hmm. 
you're going to harm yourselves. And then when you find out you have some sort of reaction to it, you're going to blame the COVID or you're going to blame the vaccine or you're going to whatever. It's like, I don't know. It's just, we deal with this stuff today. And so like when you watch a movie from 1968, where you see a character like Dr. Zayas, who is both the faith and the science guy, Mm -hmm. it's just, it's like, it's like if, um, Bill Nye the Science Guy was actually Father Bill Nye the Science Guy. <laughs> you know, it's just it's so it's so weird, but it's it it works so well in the movie, and it really paints that whole narrative of of truth over belief necessarily. It's like you can believe in something, but if it's not the truth, then then what's you know what are you believing in? Right. It's um, it almost makes me think of like uh, Ozymandias. In in a sense, mm-hmm. uh, like especially towards the end, towards the end of the movie, where he's like, "I think I just saved our civilization," and <laughs> and we get to that that um, uh, astonishing, iconic, and often parodied reveal that Heston that that Taylor was on Earth all along, which I find so funny because throughout the movie, Heston like Heston's character Taylor is is emphasizing, "I'm from thousands of light years away," and it's like. He's wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he is, but you know what? But you know what's so great about that twist? Mm. When I think about it, yeah. is the fact that at the very beginning of the movie, he could give two shits about America. Yes, he could give two shits about his home, like like that whole bit that I I, I do make fun of a lot uh, when I talk to you. <laughs> but like when he sees um, Landon putting the American flag into the ground, and he just goes, "Ha ha ha ha!" Yep, like. It's 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 such a juxtaposition to go from that to him seeing the Statue of Liberty crumbled on the rocks, um, and uh, him going, "You maniacs, you blew it up! <laughs> God damn you!" Like you listen, you can't say that line without like overacting or like going into it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if you just say it normally, it's dumb. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> But I think about there's so many implications with that scene. Like the Forbidden Zone was was like probably destroyed by because of nuclear weapons. Like that's why it's so bad. Mm-hmm. That's why they assume that you can't go you can't go there, you know. But also because <laughs> it has the artifacts, the remnants of human culture. I mean, they find the doll in there and Mommy. and other tools, and this of course the Statue of Liberty, which is you know a huge symbol. I, again, it's been parodied so many times, so I imagine for, like, a modern audience seeing it for the first time, it's definitely, like, it's definitely weird. Yeah. You know? It's, like, it's 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 a lot like when we were talking about Scream, and, you know, you were more, like, obviously you'd seen it before, but it'd been a long time, but you were more familiar with, like, the scary movie yep. sort of approach to Scream, so a lot of, a lot of the elements there like obviously you can't help but think of oh or like i imagine people who are make maybe big mel brooks fans and then they finally watch star wars and they're like <laughs> which is funny because Spaceballs has the planet of the apes thing and i watched Spaceballs before i watched the original planet of the apes <laughs> um you know but i think it's a great ending but i think um it feels like we're dancing around this. Uh, this is definitely one of the the bigger pieces of, of, of conversation, and will take us at least twenty five minutes. No, um, <laughs> the, the character, uh, the often at least between us, the often discussed character of George Taylor, as portrayed by Charlton Heston. Yeah. Uh, let <laughs> us okay. Yeah. All right. Just to, just to go back in time a little bit. So, in the early days of the show. 
when we were still in sort of the we were leading up into double digit numbers with the amount of episodes that we'd done and i randomly i don't remember what episode it was specifically but i remember randomly watching planet of the apes because i had the blu-ray but i'd never seen the movie i'd seen bits and pieces but i never watched the movie in full and i know joey's a massive fan of it and like he didn't prompt me or anything he didn't say oh you gotta watch this but i think it was also just the motivation of watching all these movies that made me like you know what i know joey's a big fan of this and i've always wanted to watch it i do love the the newer movies so i'll give it a shot i'll i'll watch it see how i feel and i watch it and i message joey and i'm like joey this is a good movie but <laughs> i i i i just i i don't listen i just don't care for taylor <laughs> he's he's an asshole (laughs) i hate him Mm -hmm. and i think everything that happens in the film to him is kind of deserved sure (laughs) even well into the like and and this is the thing too because like when we first talked about it there was that point where it's like well because you had the argument well later on you know he's he's went through those experiences and he's learned and he's got a little bit better and i'm like did he though (laughs) like maybe he's learned but is he not an asshole like no, he's he's still an asshole, and I can confirm he's still an asshole when we get to the sequel. Uh, because spoiler alert but, for Beneath the Planet of the Apes, he blows up the world. God damn it! He blows up <laughs> the world in that movie. <laughs> I mean, oh my god! But he's like, listen, I think he's almost a perfect personification of the franchise in a lot of ways because I can only think of one ending in this franchise including all the new movies, where it's pretty optimistic. All the other ones are bittersweet or incredibly pessimistic. Like, and, that, and that's that's just, that's Planet of the Apes bread and butter. And I feel like Taylor is that to a capital T. At Right from the start of the movie, it's like, wow, what a, what a piece of garbage this human like, is. <laughs> he's literally sitting there, like, with his stupid cigar. <laughs> And he's talking about probably the most sympathy I ever had for him was in the was in the opening scenes and he's like you know, and he's talking about like the people and he's like pondering about the people. But then like you still see Charlton Heston's face and you just hate it. (laughs) (laughs) And then and then they get off the ship after it's crashed and listen. And again, this is a movie from the late 60s, but the first person that dies is the woman, the second person that dies is the black man, and then we have the two white guys left. Great. Okay. Um, <laughs> and one of them is Charlton Heston. <laughs> so... <laughs> I'm sorry. No, it's um, it's fine. Yep. <laughs> so then, like, the whole time, he's just being a bully to Landon. Like, Landon's like, I miss, I miss home, which is natural. Yes. You know, especially if you just found out that you know, you're two. You're over two thousand years old now. Mm-hmm. You know, like I could imagine. Imagine Taylor meeting Matthew McConaughey from Interstellar when the scene when he's crying. He would just be like, "Grow a pair, bitch." Yeah, he would. <laughs> He'd be such an asshole to him. And you're like, listen, that's one of the most moving scenes of Interstellar when he's just crying after seeing like his daughter, who he knew was a little kid, as Jessica Chastain. Now he's like, God damn it, what just happened? And then, he, and then Taylor would just walk in, and just be like, ha 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 ha, just like the asshole he is. Oh but- <laughs> my god. <laughs> so, so, so he's just picking on Landon the whole time, and then all this stuff starts happening. Um, uh, Landon gets captured. 
Um, the other two members are dead already at this point. Heston got shot in the neck, so he can't talk, mm-hmm. which is nice. But <laughs> <laughs> and so, listen, he likes guns. Guess what happens? Um, oh <laughs> that got that got that got two more Heston than Taylor. But either way, <laughs> <What's up>? um, <laughs> all right, keep going, keep going. So the movie plays out. You know, he's he's being treated as an animal, and then he finally can talk again. And he's trying to plead his case, and I'm like, okay, alright, you know, he went through all this stuff, let's see if he can plead his case. And uh, he doesn't get that opportunity, and then the next time he talks, he talks to Nova, who was the one of the other humans who was kind of forced to hang out with him, and so he's bonded with Nova, and Nova bonded with him. And he starts talking to Nova, and he's 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 being really creepy when he's talking to her. Yeah. <laughs> like like he's like he's like Stuart came with us and we were all hot and eager and ready because she was our Eve. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> Jesus! <laughs> like I swear to you, even when he's not got a cigarette in his mouth or a cigar in his mouth, he talks like he does. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and then the end of the movie comes comes around, and you know he's yeah he's helping Cornelius and he's helping Zira and he's trying to you know. You know, make sure Doctor Zayas knows that he's wrong and dumb. Um, but he still he still acts like a jackass. Mm-hmm. And then the kiss. Why? It's not prompted. Like there's no emotion. Like he's like he just looks at, like he shakes everyone else's hand. Then he just looks at Zero and he's like, "I would like to kiss you." <laughs> and, and yeah, she like great. Thankfully, she reacts how she should. She's like, "Gross," but okay, whatever. Um, so, you know, props to that, but at the same time, it's like, it, the, he still suggested it. It was just weird to me. And then, and then he goes and, you know, you maniacs! You blew it up! Like, that whole bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the movie's over, and I'm like, listen, there's a lot of stuff praiseworthy about this, but I hate that guy. <laughs> I think, I think you could look at it a number of ways, because... Listen, Charlton Heston was one of the most popular movie stars of his time. I mean... This is true. Listen, this is very true. Listen, like, Moses and Ben-Hur. Like, I mean, when you think about Moses, that's like play- getting to play Superman or Batman. Like, yeah. Like, such a universal figure worshipped by so many religions. Like, when you think about it, it's such a... It's insane. But um, he was a big star, and also this sort of helped kick off his science fiction stuff. Because it's weird, because he got to be in biblical epics... And science fiction movies. It's Sonic Green, Omega Man, this. Listen, he, he is he is of faith and science. Yes, it's like Zayas. <laughs> and I think part of it is like the typical, some of it is the typical, like he is the hero from, from this time period, right? Like he gets the hot girl, right? And he has to, he, he's buff. He has the big gun at the end, you know, <laughs> like in some ways I could see like Arnold Schwarzenegger playing this part to, to some <laughs> Which degree. I would probably have been more okay with that. But I also, I also think he would have been too likable. And I think, <laughs> I think, I think that's why I think this is his best is, is Charlton Heston's best performance. And I, I'd throw in Moses and, and, and um, Moses and, you know, uh, Ben Herb in there. I think he is um, incredible in this movie. Um, and it's, again, it's also very hard to follow a movie where your main character is just such a piece of shit. Like, yes, 
Yes. Like, he, listen, he might have been, like, a super chill, cool dude in real life, minus the, the NRA stuff. But, um, so that might have just been pure acting on his part. And if that's the case, then he, he, did, a, he did a great job playing a dickhead. But, <laughs> but it's like you were saying, it's just, it's so hard to invest in something where he's, like, it's... If it was a degree of unlikability with some charm in it, which you, you could tell he's doing, like he's being charming, mm-hmm. but it just didn't work for me. Right. Watching it, like I wasn't like swayed by his like swagger or his again his dumb little cigar. <laughs> right. <laughs> which I lo- I love how like you know they have like eight ounces of water and and instead of like obviously you know they're trying to preserve the water so that's smart but like instead he's like I'm gonna just smoke my cigar. Because I just happen to have it in my stupid little pack. <laughs> Everyone else's pack is cool. His is dumb. <laughs> <laughs> you know what really feel bad in, in all of this is, is Dodge. What? Okay? He's like, yes. he's like these two freaking white guys. I I it stuck <laughs> with these two. I, I got a whiner and a jackass. <laughs> I, got a big, I got a big baby and this, this doofus. Like... <laughs> <laughs> and he he has a, he gets a pretty bad dodge. He literally just gets shot in the neck, and then that's that's and then he gets used as a museum piece, yeah. basically, which is so horrifying. That's, it's another like again like commentary on that because I think about when you go to the Museum of Natural History. I mean, they don't. There's not not something that doesn't happen anymore. But a lot of those are animals from over a hundred years ago that have been stuffed. You know, mm-hmm. so taxidermy, taxidermy. Yep. So. um yeah, I think this is just something we just fundamentally disagree on, which is totally cool. I I see where you're coming from yeah. with it. It's it's one it's it's probably arguably one of the biggest like disagreements as far as like pop culture. I think we have. I think so. It's yeah. just like it's just that character, and it's. I think I I I don't think there's any real particular reason for it. I mean, you could argue. You know, it's like well, you've had more time to like, and you've been invested in Planet of the Apes and stuff. You know, so, and, like, it's, like, the same thing on my end with the Batman stuff. Like, you, you, I've had more time to invest in Batman stuff, and so there's just, like, certain things that you prefer or care, don't yep. care about right. with the Batman movies. Yeah. I, th- I still think, like, I think it's just the way the character's portrayed and everything about the character, and maybe even just Charlton Heston in general. I think, I think that does play a role yeah. in it. Like, I think, like, like I, I also think, like, like, on a similar wavelength... Not to harp on this too much longer, but um, like I think of John Wayne a little bit and how like he's such a seminal like action star, like Western yeah. star from back in the day. I have not seen a lot. I've really not seen any John Wayne movies, but I know who he is as a person, and I do not like him as a person. <laughs> I almost feel like it's so, worse, um, the, especially given you know, just so many things with him. Um, and it sucks yeah. because there are I. Again, I do love some John Wayne movies. I love Stagecoach. Yeah. I love um, The Searchers. Real Bravo's good. Um, you know, it's it, it's tough. Um, you know, and it is tough. We've talked about movies before where, like, the stars have become, like, controversial or problematic. And it's just it's one of those one of those things, man. <laughs> it's just mm-hmm. like... Like, I, I think about... Um, uh, Kirk Douglas. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, which we did a whole twenty thousand leagues, and prior to knowing anything, you know, allegedly he may have done something terrible. Yeah, 
and we didn't know that at the time. So like you listen to that episode and we're like, oh, Kirk Douglas. Yes. I think at one point I was like, Kirk Douglas should be Aquaman. <laughs> now I'm like, maybe not. You're like, no. uh, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, um, it's definitely it's rough. It's rough. But also it, it's, it's rough too, because some of these guys have lived so long as well. Like Heston passed away only like 15 years ago. And mm-hmm. Kirk Douglas just died like two years ago. So it's like, it's like, even though they did things long ago, it's like, they're still around and they had relatively good, you know, but that's a whole other thing. I, um, I, that's a whole other not, thing. Not, not, not that this stuff isn't important, but I do, we have been talking about it for a bit. It's important to talk about this stuff, you know, but I think we both agree. It is a, at the very least a good movie. It's. Uh, I do really much. I do very much like Planet of the Apes. Um, I, we didn't need to talk about the, the action scenes. Like, I think like the hunt is really great at the, t- like towards the beginning of the movie. I like I like the use of handheld cinematography in this yeah. movie. And I like I like the dynamic shot choices mm-hmm. that they go with. Like, it's not it's not you know not that it you know like the, when it comes to action, obviously the way you shoot it depends on who you are and depends on the era in which, you know, like, you know, there's like the sort of quick cut era and there's like right now we're in sort of the John wick era where, you know, where everyone's kind of going that route. But, um, um, I do like how dynamic a lot of the short shot choices are. It, it everything is visible mm-hmm. and well choreographed and you're able to get the lay of the land so that you're not confused by anything. Sure. Uh, there's definitely a lot of bits in the film where, uh, they, like, it's not so much that there's, like, a fight scene, but there's just really, like, violent sort of scary stuff happening, like the hunt scene where you're just seeing people get captured. I think that's my favorite thing about this. Uh, one of my favorite things about this movie is it just makes you feel uncomfortable in so many different ways. You know, like, what happens to the crew um, of the spaceship, what happens at the end of the movie, even the makeup I find I found unsettling as a kid. And whenever my mom mm-hmm. like walks past me watching this movie, she's like, I can't look at this because it's just it's just such a weird feel. And the music, the music is also a great example of this, too, because it's not a, it's not like the standard. We're, we're used to like John Williams, like beautiful, like floral orchestral. Like orchestrated. This yeah. is a bit more like it's tribal. But but as the uh, they say about the Avatar font in the SNL sketch, tribal yet futuristic. <laughs> <laughs> beautiful that's um you know i think whatever they did it wasn't enough <laughs> that's uh your opinion on the taylor character <laughs> <laughs> yes like i like that whole skit is is i'm i'm ryan gosling just wondering like why is taylor a thing <laughs> um they're, I, they're I making, also... they made more <laughs> um i i love the action scene right before he says um take your stinking paws off me you damn dirty ape that whole chase scene mm-hmm. is a lot of fun you know there's not a lot of action but i think the action in here is memorable i think the dialogue is great and um you know you also want to give credit to a movie for having such universal themes but also it's just a matter of we haven't solved a lot of these problems since the original planet of the apes came out over 50 years ago no we haven't we, haven't. we have not these are all existing issues that uh, we still deal with this is deeply <laughs> uh deeply upsetting you know, yes. um, I also just shout out to again Michael Wilson who wrote um, the, the later iteration of the script. You know, uh, mm-hmm. you, you deserve better, man, and you did not deserve to be blacklisted like that. That was freaking awful. Um, you know, uh, psh, I, I'm just glad. Like 
the talent that came together on this movie is also just interesting. Another shout out to Arthur P. Jacobs, who is the producer on this. He is actually responsible for the original Dr. Doolittle, and he produced the five original Planet of the Apes movies. So shout out to him. Uh, I, I think it's, it's, it's a classic for a reason, this movie. And I think it, it does earn its place. Yeah. It's a classic in the genre in that it, it tackles subjects with the truth using fiction, you know, as V, as V, as V, as, as Evie's dad says in V for Vendetta, you know, use lies to tell the truth. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, to go back to that episode from two weeks ago <laughs> anyway we're gonna take uh, this is a great discussion but we're gonna take a brief intermission um uh, richard i got us the reservation at the uh, at the howard johnson do you want to go no <laughs> i don't like the oh, howard johnson really really no but wait it, where is it it's in oh it's in space it's in space oh, oh okay that's different then yeah the, the space howard johnson's are still good oh yeah for sure stay tuned Welcome back to Two Dudes One Double Feature. In our last segment, we talked about one of Joe Denny Dan's all-time favorite movies. Now, we are going on to a movie that both Joey and I have a um, a memory, a personal experience with, uh, but also another film that is considered one of the greats of science fiction due to what is this movie we are talking about? Well. I just want to say, is this the first Stanley Kubrick movie we've been talking about? Kubrick movie I we're talking about? I feel like it is. That's so wild. I don't man. think we I don't think we've tackled anything else. I know we planned a shining episode a while ago, but we just haven't gotten around to it yet. Yeah. Well, in any case, in any case, our first um and this is one we know we had to talk about at some point. Uh oh, yeah. Stanley Kubrick's nineteen sixty eight seminal groundbreaking uh bit of storytelling two thousand one. A Space Odyssey. Or as I like to think of, Space Oddity, and then I start singing David Bowie. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Bowman to how 9000. <laughs> Very nice. Very nice. Thank you. All right. So, so 2001, um, now we said it's one of the greatest science fiction movies of all time, but it's also a movie that's highly regarded as one of the greatest movies of all time as well I, I i did not think that's where you were going with that honestly <laughs> where, where did you think what did you think i, I was gonna say I, I thought you were gonna say it's also considered by uh some as one of the most boring movies <laughs> that's part of its reputation as well that's that's um yeah so that's that's on me I, I i guessed wrong on that one but yes it is it's 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 up there 
Like it's 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 is it on that sight and sounds list that we mentioned when we did the greatest movies of all time episode? It's it's probably somewhere on there. Let me double check. Is that, it actually. is it in the top ten? I don't think it is. What? It might. Hold up. Well, Roger Ebert, Roger Ebert put um, 2001 in his top ten for sight and sound when he when he was alive and doing that kind of thing. Um, but let me look at uh, 2012. Yes, it is in the top ten. It's number six. Do you want to know the top ten real quick? Yeah, list it out. List it out. Okay, here's number ten, eight and a half. Number nine, Passion of Joan of Arc. Number eight, Man with the Movie Camera. Number seven, John Ford's The Searchers. Number six, 2001. Number five, Sunrise, A Song of Two Humans. Um, great movie. The Rules of the Game, number four. Also good movie. Number three, Tokyo Story, which is the only movie on this list I have not seen yet. Uh, number two, Citizen Kane, and number one, Vertigo. We talked about the top both two already. We talked about both those. It's up there. Um, so to describe this movie is very hard in some ways. It's it's very metaphor heavy, but it's also more reliant on the images and it's there's there is a narrative, mm-hmm. but. It doesn't happen really technically till about later in the movie. It's not like the most important aspect of the movie either. No. But the movie is really like more of an experience. Which, you know, depending on who you are could be a good thing or a bad thing, but which, you know, it's the case of any movie, but it very much is like reliant on the image in question which is also a bit contrary because that's every movie but i think specifically like it's reliant on the images that stanley kubrick and and all of his collaborators put onto screen on the screen to yeah see you see what i'm struggling with it's very hard yeah like basically i mean the general gist of this thing is like it's sort of like a, a like the evolution of man to a certain extent, uh, human evolution of humanity. They say man in the movie. We'll try to yeah. stick to humanity in our episode. So if I do say man occasionally, I apologize. We should talk about the main character, which is um, technically not who you expect. It's not a person. I would argue. Uh, no. Are you Are you thinking what I'm uh, about the uh, about the monolith? Yes. Yeah. It's certainly. Um, yeah. So, in there's, I, I believe there's at least. I think there's like four three or four sections in this movie and each section ha- uh, features uh this black um rectangular prism object called the monolith i call it the chocolate bar it's the chocolate bar uh the the blank vcr whatever you want to call this thing yeah you know both both apt or like the table without legs yeah so crazy things happen every time Every time someone encounters it. So, um, for example, the beginning of the movie, and the reason why we're pa- one of the reasons why we're pairing these two, we have a bunch of apes. Okay, we have a bunch mm-hmm. of apes, um, and the monolith appears, and they all go crazy. And there's this humming noise. It makes either like a humming noise or like a, which, like that noise, like the sort of like, um, like, like the constant chorus. choir chorus mm-hmm. or the the humming thing. Um, is about as iconic as a lot of the music that was used in this film. Yeah. 
like uh we were talking about this we were watching it like in godzilla in the 2014 godzilla when they do the the jump out of the plane with like the the red smoke the music used for that i is almost i i don't know if it's exactly the same but it's the it's the music that is played when people come into contact with the monolith Mm -hmm. um which is so like haunting but also like like your eyes just get wider when you like yeah you can't it's it's insane it's you can't look away but after the monolith arrives in that first section um an ape who is identified when you look at credits online or in the novelization of the uh, the novel version of this movie as the moon watcher Mm -hmm. they make they use a tool they they pick up a bone from a, a tapir a tapir um I forget how to pronounce it, but like they pick up a bone of this creature and they use it as a weapon. And it's the first like step for human, really the first step for human evolution. Um, and each time, like I said, each time the model, it's, there's so many things you want to talk about this movie. It's, I'm sorry. It's, (laughs) it's, it's, it's loaded. It's, it's very loaded. Like it's kind of funny because I watched the sequel to this, which we'll get to later, but that mm-hmm. in like the first 15 minutes probably have more dialogue, like more spoken dialogue than the entirety of this movie. Because <laughs> <laughs> it was much more of a standard science fiction film. Like when you were messaging me about it, I was like, this sounds so different than what <laughs> 2001 was. It's very different. It's very different. Um, but like I said, like, and, 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 it's crazy because, you know, normally in this type of thing, you'd have like maybe like a silly bit of narration or, you know, more characters talking or whatnot. But how do, like, how do you, like, because we're not going to show the entirety of human evolution, right? No. You don't have that much time. Movies long enough as it is. So what do you do? So we get perhaps one of the most, fa- one of the most famous edits in history, which my brother <laughs> reacted to with, what? <laughs> that was the best part of watching it. Um, was just like the the best part was that Joey prompted it by going, "All right, here comes the greatest edit in cinema history, or one of the greatest edits in cinema history," and it happens, and it's the the transition from the bone to the spaceship, and uh, his brother Mike, shout out to Mike, we love you, Mike, um, says, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> but in all seriousness, it's a brilliant it's a brilliant transition because. We are we literally are bridged by millennia from from this point with these apes to at that point nineteen ninety nine. I know the movie's two thousand one, but that part's nineteen ninety nine. It connects those two things, and again, it's a, it's a story about imagery where it's like, okay, it's a technological advance with that bone, but guess what? That bone is used for warfare. So it's telling us like technology and warfare and progress are almost interlinked. In yeah. a very strange way, you know, we, of course, get, like, the beautiful images of space, um, the groundbreaking special, like, the special effects in this movie are incredible, too, in-camera stuff. The the miniature work is outstanding. I imagine there's a lot of that as well. Um, yeah. This, listen, what was the first time you watched this? Do you remember? I watched this um, almost 15 years ago. I watched it on Blu-ray. And it was one of my first Blu-rays that I picked up was 2001 A Space Odyssey. And I had known nothing about it other than maybe some of the parody stuff, which I would come to realize once I watched the movie. But um, I watched it and I was like, I was, I was like in high school, you know, mm-hmm. 
<laughs> and I'm like, this is really cool. I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, it's. I think that's the most apt description of the movie, especially at that age. <laughs> yes. This, this mm-hmm. wow, this is pretty. What happened? <laughs> yeah. It's really long. It looks really cool. But what? Well, what's going on? Now, th- this is sort of like a like a part two of this question. When's the first time you watched the movie without falling asleep? The first time I watched it without falling asleep? Yes. Um, It was... I mean, I didn't fall asleep that time. The first time I watched it. That's good. But, um, you know... It's one of those movies where some it depends. You have to be in the right mood for this movie. That's the thing. Yes, you, you cannot watch this movie casually. No, like it moves so slowly. <laughs> like it's like I, it honestly feels like Kubrick was trying to get every little movement exactly right and to get as precise as he could. So that when you watch it, you know, like you see the ships move and it's like, (laughs) then the arm goes, it's every little pro like, like, you know how there's like movies where people say, we don't really show people going to the bathroom. It's just this movie. This movie shows you (laughs) not only, (laughs) not only going to the bathroom, but flushing, Flushing. wiping, (laughs) washing your hands. (laughs) (laughs) But it's funny you say that because there is like a, a C where like one of the doctors looks at the like instructions on how to use a toilet. <laughs> this is true because um, there's a sort of midsection where you see like companies from like the late seventies and early eighties that were somewhat relevant at that time. Well, sixties, um, pardon me, uh, late sixties, mm-hmm. early seventies, um, like Pan Am, which doesn't exist anymore. Um, Howard Johnson, which does exist in small increments. <laughs> yes. <laughs> in fact, uh, the first time I ever went to New Jersey, I stayed at Howard Johnson. And it was... Anyway. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> so... um, uh, IBM is another I- one. IBM, yes. Um, also, that one got... That one's not... I did have an IBM computer, though. I do remember okay. having... That's how old I am. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I remember having an IBM computer. And um, so a lot of these companies, apparently in the, in the, in the version that this film... In the, in the story that this film is telling, have progressed into the future. Whereas um, that does not happen. And it, that did not happen at all. But um, you see, like, um, they're traveling in space. Like, it's almost like a commercial flight. Yeah. And, um, there's that, like, tell, like, like, this is one of those movies that in many respects predict the future. Like, I remember, like, the first time I watched this was, I was in college, actually. And so it might have been, uh, like, what year was it that you watched this? 2008, 2009, I want to say. Okay, so that was a little bit earlier than I watched it, but I was in college at the time. So Mm -hmm. it was a little bit later than that. It was one of the movies that... Um, I think I watched in my film theory class. I don't remember specific, but I th- I'm 100% sure that I watched it in college. And we were talking about it, and we were talking about, like, what does this mean? Like, what what's yeah. what's the story being told with this? And that was, like, the big discussion point. And also just, like, how this movie progressed um, the way we view space 
and the way we view modern technology, like some of the best science fiction movies will show like, cause there's like iPads in this technically there's yeah. video call in this movie. And also like the way, the way Kubrick sort of revolutionized the way like the planets look and the way that things move in space. And I mean, while he wasn't entirely accurate, it still was like incredibly impressive. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's why there was that conspiracy theory later on um, that many people thought that the moon the moon landing was faked and that Kubrick filmed it and, and directed it. Yeah. You know what I also want to point out, too, is that we didn't get an image of Earth like that clear, like like the I forgot what the iconic name for it is, but like we didn't get that for like a while after this movie. And they I think they got it pretty. It looks pretty good. I mean, I, I would believe that that I like Earth. if I didn't know what Earth looked like already. You know, there's a select group of people that would be like, excuse me, that's not a disc. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. What are you talking about? It's a two-dimensional image watching a movie. (laughs) It must be on its side. (laughs) Yeah. But um, who's to say it isn't? No. Uh, (laughs) Anyway, so this movie, um, it it also is impressive, too, because we think about Planet of the Apes, right? And I think Planet Mm. of the Apes is... I don't want to say el- elevated sounds like really silly, but like, you know, cause there's, but I it's watch, not wrong. It's not I, wrong though. I watch, listen, you, you've seen science fiction movies. I've seen a ton of like science fiction movies from like the fifties yeah. and sixties. There are some, there, there are some things that I love and there, there's some schlock going on. <laughs> right. And yeah. it's, inc- it's incredible that this movie even exists because Planet of the Apes, even though I think it's a great movie, it's exceptional. It still has those like pulpier, elements like you have Charlton Heston shirtless fighting off apes you know yeah or like he's got the pretty he's got the pretty lady you know whereas 2001 has the idea what if we didn't even have women in this movie <laughs> we like like there's literally like a point where women are there but then it's like they're just they, I don't even think they have lines half the time the the one who has the most lines uh and is the most compelling character easily is uh the daughter is the little girl. She's the best actor in the whole movie. <laughs> I love the little girl. She's like, all right. You you want her to get that doll or whatever she wants. You want her to have the right. best birthday ever. D- dude, oh my God. I, I get to the <laughs> sequel later. But like, it's, it, this movie, it doesn't, it, it isn't just a B, it's not a B, it's beyond a B movie. This is an art house, a, a big budget art house science fiction film made yeah. in the 60s, right? This thing, if you didn't have this, you would not have the likes of Denis Villeneuve. You would not have, like, the Christopher, Christopher Nolans. Nolan. Yeah. But even earlier than that, Spielberg, Lucas, you know, and all the special effects artists we we come to know and love from, like, ILM and all these other companies. Like, this, this movie, this movie took something, like, okay, so, like, science fiction in general, like, is, is about the exploration of, Poss- about the possibilities of what could be out there. Yeah. Right? In many respects. And, like, you know, you think of Star Wars, you know, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. You know, what could that look like? Well, we got lightsabers. We got Luke Skywalker. We got two sons. And um, then you have something like Planet of the Apes. Time travel. What could that happen? What could that be like? Um, what if you're shot so far into the future that, you know, you're in a, a, a state, of the, state of the planet that is sort of going backwards and then moving forward again. Right. You know, like like Civilization 2.0, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but with this, this movie says, you know what's interesting? Space. 
Like, not like, not like a planet with crazy things on it, not like, you know, aliens, not any of that, just space. Because we really haven't, at least at that time, we really had not explored the intricacies and the interestingness of what space is already like without the added, without the addition of like, say like the War of the Worlds, or like aliens coming down or like Martians or anything. Like this movie's just like, space is cool on its own. Let's explore that, but also like kind of dive deep and like, you know, Kubrick's a metaphorical dude. You know, he wants to talk about a lot of that stuff and like human evolution with the monolith and all that stuff, which, you know, that's like the quote unquote, maybe the alien of the movie. But um, it also kind of brings that idea of like, you know, so many civilizations, you know, like I, I think of ancient aliens on History Channel, that one yep. dude with the big hair. It's like aliens. <laughs> My dad watches ancient aliens all the time. I, I come downstairs and I'm like, yep. It's okay. I, I watch Monster Quest, man. I can't judge. <laughs> no, no. It's not. A, it's just an observation, really. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's like it, that's what Kubrick was. Tr- that's, I think that's kind of the main thing. And if he didn't do that, then you know you wouldn't have like like you were saying all these other filmmakers. You know, taking what Kubrick did and adding back those kind of pulpy things. And so, like in many respects, like Kubrick was doing the legwork so that other people could um, could 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 just stride you know what i mean Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i mean there's so much with this movie i mean obviously like and it's crazy too because i've seen the sequel and you would think oh they probably have more advanced like technologies they make it no 2001 looks way better than a movie that came out like oh like 15 years later it is so crazy there i mean there's so many things to talk about with uh, with this, but I, I also really want to talk about. I think the most memorable mo- memorable thing for a lot of people is the character of Hal Nine Thousand, is the, the 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 computer system on spaceship with uh, Poole and Bowman, who are mm-hmm. are 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 sort of main human characters, I guess. Later on in the movie, because like we have the the opening bit with the sort of pre civilization apes, and then we have sort of midsection where civilization has sort of evolved like this like it's it almost feels like the uh the end of like like normal human human civilization in a weird way are you saying that like after that is the bowman stuff because what's interesting is that's only like there's 18 months difference (laughs) yeah like it just like it it just feels like this is this is the end and then and then they're just kind of drifting off away and like they don't it's like they're like the the tailors and the like they're like those people who just have no clue what's going on. Right. Um, my dog's barking again. My sister hates it when I point it out. <laughs> so when she listens, like, Jelly, the dog is barking. She's just, she likes to be on the show. That's what matters. She's going to be on the show again anyway. So That's she's fine. on twice this week. Yeah. So like, then we get to the, the, the Bowman pool, Hal 9000 stuff. And they're on this like space expedition, and they they have a lot of other crew members who are all in like cryo sleep, and they're 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 using this experimental um, computer system called HAL nine thousand um, that has artificial intelligence. And you know if you and this is this is something that's been used so much now in science fiction that I think if someone came, went back to it's like it's like when people were watching Dune, and mm-hmm. and so many people are like so used to like star wars and all these other things yeah that they just go it's like people that complained that boba fett was too much like dune and it's like 
I mean, that's Star Wars in general. But okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right, sure. Um, but like, it's just like there's so many like artificial intelligence, especially these days, feels like it's such a a like a a overused not maybe not overused because I do like the concept, but like it's the it's such a used device in science fiction because you know technology is such a prominent thing in our lives like joey and i are talking on our phones but who's to say that you know one day our phones won't like talk back at us <laughs> you yeah. know like like i go hey siri call joey i'm sorry richard i'm afraid i can't do that <laughs> oh my god uh but listen like how i think um douglas rain is the actor who vo- voices Hal, and it's a perfect perfect voiceover performance the way the way he hits certain like letters is beautiful like it's so calming yet so haunting at the same time and um just the way just how's like this red dot like this red like light on this panel you know i think the scariest moment in the movie for me was they cut and it gets closer and closer to hal Mm -hmm. you remember that that's one of the scariest parts. That's um, like right when Pool dies. Right when Pool dies. And when Pool's like... Because you talk about a lot of the imagery in this movie, right? Mm-hmm. But this movie, even though I talk about joke that there's not a lot of dialogue, the sound component is definitely there. Yes. It's, it's used very well. I think about the classical music where we kind of use it to think back on like, wow, like this is sort of like a timeless concept that... You know, it, even this music, which was written so long ago, can apply to this these fantastical worlds and our fantastical achievements. But mm-hmm. when when Pool dies, there's very little sound. There's it's almost there's one part where it's just like there's like dead silence, and he is like struggling in space in this mm-hmm. endless in this endless void. You know, it's like it's that's why like open water is so scary. Or like, op- like is like. Here's the thing, you don't think about it, but like, if you're in the ocean, or if you're in space, if you're an astronaut, and you get pulled away, like you're like you like you're latched to the boat, or something gets caught off guard, and the, and the boat's away or the ship's away, and you're just floating there, you can't go anywhere. No, like you could try to get back, but the pressure of the water, like the 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 gravity, the weightlessness of space, like you just can't get back and then the worst part of it is if you're if you're low on oxygen you know like like it's so it's so terrifying to think about that and then so when you get to that scene with pool you know he he literally can't he can't he just can't do anything like his Mm -hmm. his his tubes unhooked um his tethers broken um and the best that the best thing that could happen is bowman trying to save him but again you can only move so fast in space. Mm-hmm. And so when he finally gets him, like at that point he knows like, listen, this is, this is a funeral. This is, I'm trying to bring it, bring back his body for his family. That's the best I can do. Right. And, um, he comes back and then of course there's that famous scene. You know, open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. And, um, it's, it's <laughs> gut wrenching. But I also find gut wrenching too, um is is Hal's demise in this movie which is so slow and just meticulous and, and just intense cuz de- obviously uh Bowman has to deactivate Hal because he can't be trusted at this point which we'll get to a little more 
on Hal's motivations in a second, but like how it's it's almost Hal's like pleading for his life, basically at, at this point. And think about that: an AI, an artificial intelligence, is pleading for their life. And I, I think I, I connect that scene back to the beginning, where where, where Moon Watcher uses uses the bone and uses it to defeat uh, their enemies. And it's another like connection back where it's like, you know, man has to like okay, man needed technology to help propel them to this this far, but there's only so far technology can can bring you until it's gonna you know probably try to kill you so you need to it's him overcoming technology basically especially at the end of the movie becomes a space baby but that's a whole other thing (laughs) that's a whole fourth section but it was also interesting too and i didn't know this was um you know that that how like sings that song daisy Mm. apparently that's based on a real anecdote um arthur c Clarke, who is the other visionary we have i'm amazed we haven't mentioned him yet a brilliant science fiction writer who worked very closely with Kubrick um, on this movie, but he wrote the novel 2001, but it's not an adaptation of the movie or neither is the movie an adaptation of the novel. They're kind of, they coexist and they sort of split off. It's like kick-ass a little bit because they were, they did, they did the movie and they wrote the comic at the same time, but they veered off at one point. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So with, with Arthur C. Clarke, I believe he went to this, uh, this computer thing and the first song a computer ever sang was Daisy was that was that song that um, that's cool. Hal sings but what's also interesting about Hal is a lot of people like to consider Hal as evil and Hal as I've learned more and in looking into it especially given the other materials that are out there and also watching the sequel Hal just went crazy because Hal had had conflicting directives and he he felt that he had no other choice but to kill off kill off the crew of the discovery and in, in many respects that's kind of like you know in a lot of artificial intelligence narratives it's it's that you know kind of final conclusion that you know hu- humanity is is the flaw mm-hmm. you know a lot a lot of um a lot of those stories is like the 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 artificial intelligence saying you know human humans by nature are flawed and um are why the world is falling apart mm-hmm and in order to make the world perfect, maybe we get rid of that. And you know, obviously, you know that thought process forgets all these amazing, like because there's because humanity itself is a gray area. Yeah, and you know because like yeah, we we pollute, we destroy, we kill each other, we do all these terrible, disgusting, horrible things, but we also create, we also build, we also. We also nourish and, and, and thrive and live and, and are kind. There are there is kindness and wonderful and beauty in the world, and uh, the computer can't comprehend that mm-hmm. until like the zero hour. And you, know, you see you see it with like um, you see it in like uh, some of the later Alien movies or like you know you see it with like the with Ian Holmes character in Alien or like David from the uh, from like the more recent Alien movies. And in this one, Hal, in many respects, like, you know, he's, he's, he's very sympathetic when you first meet him. Yeah. Like, 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 like he actually converses with the, with Poole and Bowman, like anyone else would. He's just more inquisitive like that. Yeah. And then it's just, he comes to this conclusion through his many directives, like you were saying, that I just can't. 
Yeah, and, and one of the things is because obviously there is that lie that happens where you know they're they're trying to like they they don't think the people can handle the fact that uh, we're actually going to be able to contact alien life, and it's <laughs> it's so and th- and that actually comes into play like the mess up on that directive in the sequel um, because uh, Hay- Haywood Floyd, who is like the ma- character in like the middle section mm-hmm. of the movie, um, we find out like he's been demoted because of what happened and because of his actions in 2001. And we find out like, and basically like it's supposed to be sort of a rescue semi rescue mission slash figure out what the hell happened to the discovery. Right. We find, and we get to meet Hal's creator, and he gets to find out why Hal was deactivated and what exactly led to that. Um, but yeah, I mean, the Hal section is 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 superb, and it, it, he's is one of the one of the greatest characters I feel like in any movie is Hal nine thousand. Mm-hmm. Um, but then this leads us to the end of the movie uh, was a Ju- like the infinite like Jupiter and beyond um, mm-hmm. where. We got this famous like star like Stargate sequence um, with the slits the iconic slit scan technique where you get all these colors going at the screen and it's oh, it's it's so insane and like you know <laughs> Dave finds himself in this room is like I guess Victorian era I don't know I'm I'm not an expert in that shit but it's, like it's it's like there's a light coming off the floor and it's I almost I almost feel like he went inside of the monolith in a weird way like that's what I like to think. And it's just like he's he's made contact with it, and it's almost we're also getting like a firsthand perspective of what the monolith does to your your brain a little bit. He he basically sees himself age in real time, oh well, not real time in like in like a quick succession. You know, like he'll look over and he'll see like the older version of him like at looking in the mirror. He'll look over and he'll see the much older version of himself in his deathbed, and then it all leads to. Um, the space baby, which is essentially Bowman has achieved transcendence, uh, and has just grown as high as he possibly can in the form of evolution. And it's just this, this floating somewhat spooky, but like awe inspiring bubble encased space baby. Like it's sort of like a reincarnation of sorts where like, you know, the beginning of the movie, they're apes, right? And they get that spark to sort of use tools and almost, which is almost like a human trait we associate with humans. And then we get humans using, doing all the things with technology. And then finally we're, we move beyond technology. We are beyond that type of thing. And now we become, you know, space, space babies effectively. I want to be a space baby one day, (laughs) space baby. And apparently in the, one of the original endings of this was they were going to have the space baby destroy all the nuclear, like weapons Mm-hmm. And, and things, but um, Kubrick was like, "I already did that with. Str- I already did nuclear stuff with Strange Love. So wanna, now we just yeah. so we just get the space baby." <laughs> um, but obviously, there's a lot of interpretations, and even though like what we said, I think is pretty much a lot of stuff what people agree with. There's a lot, of course various interpretations, and um, I was actually watching movies with Mikey's video on 2001, and he pulled up this I think this quote, and I think it's great where it's like. The, the more you, the more you say the less it the less it means kind of thing where this movie is basically the show rather than tell ultimate like show rather than tell where you're you're making your own conclusions about a lot of these things 
Yeah. It's not just the movie. It's not like a standard movie where you're like, Darth Vader's the bad guy. Spider-Man is the hero. Spider-Man does something. <laughs> a lot of Spider-Man. Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Peter Parker. I'm afraid I can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but... It, it, there's so much to, to discuss with this movie, but I think one thing we didn't get to talk about, and I think this will get to our some of our thoughts on the movie overall as well, is we got to see this on the big screen. Some context is needed for this. So, yeah, here's the story. Um, this is my this is the part I was anticipating the whole this whole episode. Honestly, I think because this is just a fun this is a personal story from for for Joey and I. So, a while ago, this was what 2018. Yep. 2018, um, one day I was driving home from Barnes and Noble and I called Joey while I was driving and, uh, I was just bored. I wanted to see what he was up to. He was at, I think he was out to eat with his mom and we were talking on the phone and he mentioned that he was going to go see the shape of water, um, in, uh, in a, a special screening in New York city, uh, with GDT with Guillermo del Toro, um, and I, I said, why didn't you invite me? And initially, initially, I was kidding. I would love to see uh, Guillermo. I've seen Guillermo del, Guillermo del Toro in person once at New York Comic Con 2012. But I would have liked to have seen that. At, but I was mostly kidding because obviously, like, I live in a different state. I'm not, like, you know. Which, and at this point, it should also be known, Joey and I have not met in person yet at this point. Yep. We've met several times now. But, um... Basically, um, Joey took this to heart, <laughs> and which he does, you know, because Joey's a nice guy like that, and um, he wants people to experience great things. And so, we um, we were talking, and he mentioned um, later on. I don't know if it was the same conversation or if it was later than that, but do you remember? Was it <sighs> was it sure. that same conversation? Either way, at one point. Joey had mentioned to me that we were that he that there was a screening of 2001: A Space Odyssey in uh, New York City in 70 millimeter, and um, I was like, "Okay, that's cool." And he's like, "What do you what do you, what, do you, what do you think about coming with me?" <laughs> and I'm like, "I'm like, huh?" Because <laughs> like the funny thing is like later on, like Joey would be like, "Let's go to Disney World." And like, let's go to Disney World again. And then that's when I would start going, Joey, I want to go to Disney World. <laughs> so, but so this is before like Joey and I would just constantly either invite each other or I would invite myself. Um, so he's like, you want to come with me? So I'm like, you know what? Yeah. Yeah. Why not? Because we have met in person and I would love to meet Joey in person. And uh, it seemed like a really cool idea. And I love New York City. I hadn't been back in a while. Um, cause like I said, it was last time was 2012. So I was like, yeah, let's go back. Um, and, uh, we planned this whole thing. We, um, it was the weekend Deadpool two came out. Cause I remember we went and saw that in theaters. And, um, I also met our good friend Gifford in person and we have a, a fun video of me, of us surprising him. Cause we did not say a word to him. Yep. And he was like, what? <laughs> You're here. <laughs> and he gave me a hug and it was great. So that was a fun moment. And I met Mike, and Mike is wonderful. And I met your mom, and she is wonderful as well. You're, I love... I met a lot of your family through the course of, like, hanging out with you in person. Um, and they're all... Like, I have not had a beef with any of them. 
Like I've I've had I've had friends, family members in the past where I've just been so uncomfortable around them. Like one of my best friends' stepdad. Like he's he's nice. He's just he was just always really uncomfortable to be around because mm-hmm. like he would just he was uh, it's a whole thing. But right, thankfully not not a single member of your family gave me that feeling. They were all super nice and great people. Um, and so this so this first time we met. Um, we initially hung out the one day and then the next day we were going to New York city and we went to the HBO gift shop. That's where, you know, in the building where they filmed some HBO shows, I think, um, last night with John Oliver is filmed there or last night, last week tonight, pardon me, with John Oliver's film there. Um, and we went to Times Square. We went and looked at all that stuff. We went out to eat at, um, did we... Joe's, uh, the Joe's Pizza or John, John's, John's Pizza? Pizzeria. John's Pizzeria? Which is, bit, which is built, built into like an old like church. Which is <laughs> it's, it's, cathedral basically. It's a fantastic building and New York Pizza is the greatest pizza in the world. Absolutely. And so uh, we did all these things and then that built up to finally uh, getting to sit down and watch That's What a Space Odyssey. And we fell asleep. <laughs> Not through the whole thing. No, 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 no. No. Not through the whole thing, but um, I I will say it, I felt much better that I heard I found out that you also were nodding off because I felt like such a jerk because like you invited no. me to this whole thing. We, I finally sat down and I'm like, <laughs> dude. Um, but the good news is I only fell asleep at like my least favorite parts of the movie, which is, is that middle section with Haywood Floyd. Mm-hmm. You know the uh, the middle section, but like I was awake during the ape stuff. Which I lo- which I love, of course, and then of course I was awake for Hal and Space Baby. Yeah, I I think I think I nodded off. I nodded off around the same times, but I think I also nodded off a few a few more times because again, there's just so much that happens and it's just so slow paced and like so much is happening at once. And so it's just we, like especially if you have ADHD, it's just hard to sit down. Yeah, and the seats were not very comfortable. No, it was it was like, it was like old theater seats where they're like crammed together. Which is probably like my least anticipated aspect of seeing a show on Broadway <laughs> is the seating arrangement. Is like I, I would I'm excited to finally get to do that someday, but um, I just I am not excited for those seats. <laughs> yeah, they're not the, they're not the best. Uh, uh, speaking of somebody who's seen a number of shows, um, I will say it was really cool seeing it in 70 millimeter. I mean, the sound yes. for one was such a notable feature that like seeing it. It was definitely because I had se- we had seen it a couple times at home on the small screen, right? And it, yeah. you were like, "Yeah, we appreciate it." But when you see it on the big screen and you hear the the hum, the music at the beginning before you see even a single frame of the movie, it's like it, it really hits you. It hits you, and then, and then of course the yes. Boom, 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 boom. But, like, it was actually really cool because 70 millimeter, I mean, nowadays people go to, when you go to a movie theater, it's highly unlikely you're dealing with a film print. You're probably dealing with with a digital um, digital projection. You know, like, if you go to your AMC, your Cinemarks, your Regals, um, unless, like, there's a, spe- a very special event and that, like, theater might be in, like, Hollywood or New York or a really big city, you're not dealing with a real, or, like, a, um like a revival house, like the film forum. Like I saw King Kong in 35 millimeters. So it had scratches and damn it. Like it was, it was an interesting experience, but like seeing, uh, we got to see in 70 millimeter and cause you know, nowadays 
there's not really a projection like projectionist for each screen. It's just one person, like a manager, controlling everything effectively, as far as I understand yeah, it. Yeah, like basically they get a hard drive in the mail. Yeah, and the hard drive's connected uh, to the projector, to projector, and there's not a lot of calibration. Like, there's a little calibration involved, like you, you know, light bulbs and stuff. And you got to make sure everything's working right. A lot of maintenance, right? But ultimately, like, you don't really get like the film canisters, no, anymore. You 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 just get like a hard drive, and it has the movie on it, and then there you go. Because apparently, that back in the day, that was a union job. And mm-hmm. it's a hard thing to do. And we actually got an introduction of the movie by the the guy, the projectionist. Yeah. And which was really awesome. Like he told, like there, there would be an intermission, which there was. And, um, I got you know, nachos it just, during the, you got nachos. Yeah. 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 Uh, <laughs> I definitely want to, I, I, if they do it again, I definitely want to see like another 70 millimeter screening. Cause there are still 70 millimeter screenings. Like, I don't know if you know this, but that death on the Nile had 70 millimeter screenings. Oh, <laughs> listen, I mean, I'm just saying like, there, there's it's still, still cool. some modern. It's, it, that is cool. That modern movies are. It's just with that one, oof. that one, it's, um, it's actually crazy though. Cause I was watching this one reviewer, the movie collector, um, really, he does some, has some great reviews, but he, his, for when he was reviewing 2001, his, his opinion, 2001 was the best 4k that he's had. It was murder on the Orient express by Kenneth Branagh. Oh, wow. Which, which is interesting. Um, you know, it makes me really want to get that on 4K. But yeah, um, I get. I guess what we're trying to say here is that like seeing movies on the big screen does matter when they're presented right. Yes, when they're presented well with care. But let's talk about what we really think of this movie because it's a, it's one thing to just say, "Look at the cinematography by Jeffrey Unsworth. Look at the special effects. Look at how. Look at this. What the hell do we think about this movie?" As like. Again, I said we can't watch this casually, so no. what, what What do we think about this, really? Like, for me, I would say um, it's it's a movie that, and I think you'd agree with this part, is that it's a movie that you can appreciate for what it's doing, for what it did for cinema, for for what it, um, for what it was able to achieve, especially with the lack of information that we would have later about space and science fiction, and or science, pardon me science fact um and like just the way things looked you know like it was incredibly impressive for what it is but as as like a viewing experience like there's stuff to appreciate and there's there's some some genuinely amazing great things but at the same time it's you know i was trying to explain this to you when we were talking about this like it's not a movie that i could watch um, and say, oh, this is like in like engrossing and enthralling me like the entire time. Like, because there's definitely times I'm like, okay, let's move on. <laughs> let's 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 go to the next thing. This and and again, a lot of it could also just be like lack of patience. A lot of it could be like again ADHD. A lot of it could also just be like it for a modern audience. We're just so used to quicker material. You know, like Vine was a thing for the longest time. You know six second videos and you know 2001 space odyssey while it's not the longest movie ever made it definitely feels like that yes i agree with that 110 percent. and so it makes it sort of hard to watch in the sense that you're being you're like all this sort of heavy metaphors mixed with stretched out imagery um 
makes it sort of difficult to sit down and, and experience it. So that's like so that's why when people say they don't really get why people love it, or if people call it like I was joking earlier, the most boring movie they've ever seen, because that's a common um, joke that people make about it. It's kind of understandable. Yeah, but at the same time, like you know, for what it does and for what it's able to achieve and for what it is, you you can appreciate it and 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 just kind of be like impressed by it even to even by today's standards you know the way everything's lit and the way that everything is 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 done it's just it's it's again like like humanity it's there's a lot of gray area to it like again like i don't think i could watch this movie just randomly i don't know if i'm ever really in the mood to watch the movie but i could definitely see myself like there's there's elements of it that I can appreciate and I can I could watch and love and enjoy. Like I could probably sit down and watch the Hal Nine Thousand stuff on its own and think it's a great movie, you know. Or like I can watch the opening sequence or hear the the iconic music that was used throughout the film and and love that. But and it's just it's 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 for me it's really a matter of patience that I, I think I lack. That's fair, I think. Yeah. Um... Yeah, it's definitely in that category for me as well. I might enjoy it more, a little more than you do. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's my my guesstimation on that. Um, it's got no Taylor, so that's a win for me. Care, care, delay, like, like Bowman's great. Is, uh, Bowman's great, but it's also there's just so many layers that I never think about. Like I was watching a, a video as they talk about it, and it's like. This is called 2001 A Space Odyssey, okay? The Odyssey, of course, has Odysseus. What was he good with? A bow and arrow. Who is our main character in that later section? Bowman. Bowman. What is what is um what does Odysseus have to face off against? A Cyclops. What character in this movie has one eye? Hal. So it's it really it works on so many levels, but also just like space in general. I think I, I we we know that we love space movies. Um yeah. And I, I was like watching a video, a video I say about this, and I was like crying, thinking about just the majesty of space, and um, how far we've come in certain ways. Like that edit really had an impact on me. The mm-hmm. the famous match cut of the bone going up in the air, and it and comes the down, coming down. The spaceship comes in, and I'm like, wow, it's like that's such a wonderful, wonderful imagery, and. Um, you know, because when you're a little kid, of course, you think about just looking up in the sky and thinking about what is out there. You know, it's one of the one of those things, um, looking at the heavens. And I also just love just little things like the fact that the ape, the main ape in this is Moonwatcher. It's another has like cosmic significance to it. Um, you know, it's uh, it, it's brilliant in a lot of areas, I think, in so many in virtually yeah. every area yeah. that you can make a movie in. Like the acting we make fun of you know, in some of it, but like, I, I feel like they serve, everybody in the movie serves their role. Like, you know, yeah. other, I would say other than Hal, nobody and the, and the, the, the daughter in the Skype call. Yes. Um, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody's like in here. I'm like, Oh my God, this is, um, earth shattering stuff. But like, I mean, except for, except for the ape, the ape that looks like <laughs> it gets attacked by the leopard in the beginning, mad <laughs> props to that person like that whoever is... whoever's job it was to do that i hope they got the most money of anyone in the movie including kubrick i hope they got paid more than kubrick i hope they got paid more than the studio <laughs> but that also leads me to talk about kubrick a bit because obviously we've talked about kubrick a little bit in this episode because a lot of people 
he, they see him as like the ultimate auteur, both in the good and the bad stuff. I mean, because infamously, like he's, with he's like the, the he's like the method actor of directors. The method actor. That's a good way. That's a good way to put it. Because I mean, think about like what happened with Shelley Duvall. Mm-hmm. And stuff, or what happened with Tom Cruise on uh, was it Eyes Wide Shut? Where Eyes Wide Shut, mm-hmm. he had to walk through a door like a hundred times, you know. And I was watching an interview with uh, Kara Delay, and he was saying he was a sw- he was a really nice guy. Dude, I was I was watching uh, to contrast with that. I was watching not to interrupt you, but like I was watching an interview with Malcolm McDowell, who's who played Alex DeLarge in A Clockwork Orange, right? And he was like, Kubrick is one of those guys that like you're so impressed by what he does. But the reason he's able to do that is because he's a monster. Yes. Because he's a genuinely, like, like he's not human. He lacks humanity. Like, he, like there was clear, like, disdain in his voice. And he's like, you know, Kubrick, it was a great experience. But, like, working with him, he is a monster. Right. Yeah. It's, um, I think one of the other actors, I forget which one in the movie, they thought they were going to get fired one day. And Kubrick's <laughs> like, no, I'm not going to fire you. It's just this scene wasn't working. We got to figure out a way to, uh, uh, to, to work this, to work this scene. <laughs> and it was, it was actually the, 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 the Hal, I believe it was the Hal lip reading scene. Oh. That, that, that eventually came about out of that. But it was definitely interesting here watching the, um, it was like a Q&A with Kier DeLay and Dan Richter, I believe was the, um, the actor who, Who's actually a mime who played Moonwatcher, and he originally did not want to play Moonwatcher because Kubrick <laughs> wanted him to train all the actors in being apes. And he's like, "I can't do both. That would take me like ten months." And Kubrick's like, "We only have ten weeks, but this is great that you're hearing this because it means you're serious about this. We're serious about this." <laughs> and it's like, "Jeez, oh my god, what is but, this deal?" Um, it's one of those things where it's like. Listen, there's a reason why there's like unions and protections for people on set. And like, but that said, I think the results are on the screen. Like it, it is, um, it might be up there as one of the most unique motion pictures ever. Like I, if we had paired this with Vertigo or Citizen Kane, I don't think I would have had much objection to that because it truly is a masterful piece of storytelling that it feels like in a way, like, there's, like, steps with, like, the evolution with the monolith. It felt like the next, the, a big, huge leap for movie sto- for movie storytelling, you know? And then it, oh, it's for something sure. I, adm- I admire more. I know I'm going on a bit, but, like... But I do like this pairing, though. I do like this pairing a lot. You know, because, especially from just, like, a science fiction standpoint, because, like, both of them talk about important things and address important things in the world of science and science fiction. Um, both of them talk about evolution. Mm-hmm. And in many respects, it's just you know, like what's so what's so great about them is that they do it in different ways. Yeah, um, one's more sort of that pulpy vibe, and the other one's a little bit more like textbook. It's the difference between like reading a comic book and like a like a school textbook in a way. It's kind of also I would also say too, like Planet of the Apes is more like the so- social issues kind of thing, yeah. right? Because you can connect it to like what was going on in the nineteen sixties. Think about nineteen sixty eight. Uh, Robert Kennedy was, assa- I believe, 1968 when he was assassinated, and Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated mm-hmm. at that point, and we were still had the Cold War, um, you know, all this, all these different things going on, mm-hmm. and 2001 feels more like the 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 big picture, the big scale about humanity and our place in the galaxy, and you know, evolution. Yeah, <sighs> a lot. I'm just gonna just gonna <laughs> double check. Real quick to make sure I didn't. Um, oh, I did want to mention this because I think you'd find this interesting. Tell me. 
Do you want to, uh, Stuart Freeborn? Now, the, the, both of these also feature brilliant makeup jobs for different reasons. Um, the apes in this movie, I think, are, are I really appreciate them more this time around than in mm. previous viewings. Um, they were designed by Stuart Freeborn, who actually designed the the helped design the puppet for Yoda. That's pretty cool. And he actually, if you look at Stuart Freeborn and you look at the sculpt of Yoda, it's like Yoda's like an alien version of him. Oh, really? Yeah, like you you have to look. It's it's kind of crazy. You kind of made it like a self, um, almost like a, like a self uh, sculpture, self puppet. You know? <laughs> just uh, made just it green, big ears. Big ears. You know, Mine. Um, Mine. <laughs> <laughs> it's like this beautiful, brilliant science fiction film. We just default to talking about Star Wars. It's um, that, that's listen, the nature that's, of the show. That's just that's just how it goes, man. I'm looking at Star Wars toys on my wall. <laughs> um, but folks. Um, does a lot. Uh, this is gonna be interesting to edit, but <laughs> this is gonna feel like the 2001: A Space Odyssey of episodes. As long as nothing slow paced and uh, I, I could just out. like you could just start going, folks. What are some of your favorite <sighs> science? <laughs> now I'm just flashed from Zootopia. No, my my god. Um, yeah, favorite science fiction films, favorite Kubrick films. What are your favorite? You like Planet of the Apes? What's your favorite Charlton Heston film? I'm actually very curious <laughs> if if there are if I'm going to get any answers. Um, it's going to be really funny if if somebody just shouts out his appearance in Bowling for Columbine. Oh no, because <laughs> he does appear in that. And oh, it's, no. it's, uh, anyway, uh, you know, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We each have Letterbox. Um, we have a YouTube channel, which hopefully, hopefully. Another two dudes pickups will be coming. It, it, it at some might point. Be. It's it's coming. Where is it? <laughs> it's in my camera memory. <laughs> All right, uh, that's gonna wrap it up for this week's show. Check us out next time. Have a good night, everyone. Thank you all for listening to Two Dudes, One Double Feature. Please follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Special shout-out, as always, to John and Kenny Armstrong. Thank you guys for everything you do. We love you both so much. And, of course, stay tuned in two weeks for a brand-new episode of Two Dudes, One Double Feature. I want to be a space baby one day. Mommy! Mommy!